edition of the kaiju kingdom podcast i am your host chris eden all right everyone jessica is out today it is just me well it's just me as the normal host but i am joined by a few guests gentlemen please introduce yourselves hey uh this is uh kevin derendorf i run a blog called maser patrol and have written a book called kaiju for hipsters and then also joining us is i'm uh connor anderson i uh uh, run the Easter's Kaiju Compendium website, where I com- try. I'm attempting to compile information on every single Ultra Kaiju and Super Eye monster known t- uh, that so far. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not even Tatiga yet, so <laughs> that'll tell you how how far I'm going in that. Like There's thousands of them. There are, as of 2013, there were 900, and I think we've Good maybe uh, gotten to the thousand parts. And that's not counting manga, video game, you know, that sort of thing. So these Herculean labors, if you will. Damn. So today we are kind of memorializing, how do I put this in good words? We're memorializing a shyster. That's what we're doing. Uh, Over this uh, past weekend, uh, the infamous Sampo Sans or Sampo Sedanguchi, is that how you pronounce his last name? Yeah, I believe so. I don't speak Thai, though. That's the problem. That's what it was told to me at the time uh, from a person who remotely speaks uh, Thai a couple years ago. So if I'm butchering it, forgive me. But uh, he went by his English name of Sampo Sands. Famously in this circle, he was known for the man who took some credit for creating a particularly giant silver superhero named Ultraman, which we all know is BS. Um, what? Yeah, I know, shocking. <laughs> the room's spinning. Hold on a second. You sit down. So he died this past week at the age of 80 from cancer-related issues. Um, so, which, uh, you know, in this day and age uh, is, um, you know, it it's, it's feels like it's almost, uh, and not to be morbid with this, but feels almost like it's, you know, like like that. That's that's like a lighter side of things in terms of people passing away, unfortunately. Yeah. This is the world we live in. So... Um, if anything, like I, th- it was kind of left field news. I have a weird history with this dude. This, this is the last person on the face of the planet I ever thought I'd have people coming out of the woodwork to ask me things for. Uh, famously, about five years, actually about six years ago, uh, I interviewed the man at a press event in Hollywood when he came out here with his uh, small company promoting the. Um, Distribution and sale of Ultraman and all the wonderful products and apparent new movie that he was working on at the time. Um, and uh, you can look, I'll, I'll link that episode in the um, in the show notes because that's a whole thing in and of itself. I actually have full live audio from that. Sadly, not a lot of video, but there is video out there. It was recorded and uh, people have sent me actually. It's on YouTube. I'll find it, but it's all in Thai. But I think there's a point or two you can see me in the background looking bored out of my gourd at this thing. So, 
Um, so we're going to talk about the man. Um, we're going to talk about more or less the infamy that this, uh, the infamous legacy that this Uber fan, which he was, he was at, at the core, a fan of Ultraman. He did love this stuff. He loved his tokusatsu. He loved, uh, his giant monsters and his rubber suits. Now the beans of which he went to enjoy these things were a little less scrupulous. So, um, well, let's just start with the story, apparently. According to the big book called Ultraman Forever, which I have here, which was uh, never released uh, for obvious reasons because it is riddled with copyright images they never got uh, permission for. And, I'm liable. Uh, yes. <laughs> and I'm 99%, 99% sure there's about... 10 or 15 good photoshopped images in here that I'm sure... Wait, 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 wait. They were photoshopped? They were photoshopped. Oh, my God. I know. The one I love the most, uh, I'll I'll send a picture out later, uh, is a picture of him taking a picture of the great Toshiro Mifune while he's um, in his dressing room. And it's literally like the hackiest photoshop job I've ever seen. But uh, the first time I read this book, I couldn't stop laughing. Um, just in terms of, especially the caption, because this thing, this book is written, first off, it's written like a madman's manifesto, uh, which is apt for the, for the gentleman. And it is also, it feels like it's written by a dude who's, who English is not his first language. Um, just to give you an idea. So real quick, I'm just going to read this, uh. This first paragraph, and we'll get started here. In February of 1962, 1962, at the tender age of 20, Sampo left his home in Thailand and everything and everyone he knew and traveled to Japan, ready to leap into his future. The early 60s were a special time for Japanese filmmaking and Toho Studios, intense and innovative, driven by a handful of creative, tireless figures, including two men who stand as giants in cinematic history, Akira Kurosawa and E.J. Tsuburaya. Kurosawa did not direct, uh, not only directed such endearing masterpieces as The Seven Samurai, he set a style that would be emulated by filmmakers everywhere, even in Hollywood, which copied his distinctive approach for everything from spaghetti westerns on the big screen to cop shows on television. For his part, Tsuburaya basically invented the inimitable Japanese monster movies, along with many of its monsters. There were other talented, famous people as well, such as Academy Award-winning director Hiroshi Inagagi, uh, Inagaki, in, in I think I'm probably, I'm, I'm, am I pronouncing that right, Kevin? Inagaki. Inagaki, thank you. Uh, director of King Kong vs. Godzilla, Ishiro Honda, and actors Toshiro Mufuni and uh, Kenshi Sahara, all whom would impress and influence Sampopes. Yeah. Uh, the young man from Thailand found himself most drawn to Tsuburaya, who would become his teacher and then his mentor. With surprising ease and, and speed, Sampope found he had left his homeland, and his family to discover a new home and something of a new family as well. That is literally the opening paragraph to this book. Um, much like any great uh, fairy tale, there's usually some truth to it, and there was truth to this. The man did go to Toho uh, on a scholarship in, when he was 20. Uh, he was there for the making of, I believe it was Yojimbo and King Kong vs. Godzilla, and there's one other film. And this is where the legend of Sampope begins. Um, and where apparently he made his contact with Tsuburaya. 
and uh, let's let's go from let's go from there. So for those uh, for those not in the know, I think we just I think we just went through this. Uh, Sampote famously produced uh, two Subaraya based films for his own production company in Chai, in Thailand. And Kevin, what were those films? Uh, so th- there's the <laughs> So so here's here's where the the naming gets a little bit a uh, little bit funky because mm-hmm. you have uh, the six Ultra Brothers versus the Monster Army is I I think my preferred title for it. This is the, mm-hmm. the Japanese title for it, but the the Thai title is Hanuman versus Seven Ultraman, which, which uh, that's how I tend to prefer, uh, refer yeah. to. Uh, yeah. So. Um, uh, and then you know you there are there we can talk about things like Space Warriors 2000 coming out of that as well. Um, the other movie is uh, Jumbo Ace and Giant, which was uh, later uh, brought to Taiwan and then from Taiwan to Italy and then Italy to France and and then we got that basically as Marsmen. So uh, that's a very it's like a game of telephone in terms of the translation there. <laughs> With a purple monkey dishwasher line at the end somewhere, too. Yes. Yes. If you're into Ultraman at all, you've heard this man's name uh, come up. Uh, partially, well, actually, probably most most likely for the reason why we got little to no Ultraman in the U.S. for many, many years. And then, kind of for the reason why we got some Ultraman in the U.S. for for uh, a, like a brief window of time and... Uh, now why we have all the Ultraman in the U.S. now because of this man. So um, where do we want to start with this? This is a, a ton to unpack. Um, I would say, uh, should we, uh, Connor, are you there? I'm here, yeah. Okay. Uh, you are the, uh, you're, you're a bit of an expert in this field. Do you want to start with uh, this this tangled mess it's a little bit to, to get into and it's a lot I, i'm trying to keep this kind of linear so okay so should we begin with um <clears throat> the relate his relationship with super Rare productions then let's because start I'm, there i think that's that that's yeah groundwork. so he went to toho to work on king kong versus godzilla um mm-hmm. and he he did begin, from what i recall he did begin a friendship with eiji um he came back to thailand with the desire to make uh special effects films and i think he made a Kevin might have to back me up this uh, this movie called Ta Tien. Is that how you yes. pronounce it? Yes. Yep. Which I believe is a historical, or uh, you know, you know, some major part of Thailand's culture. Yeah, um, it's it's based on the mythology regarding a yes. certain doc, basically. Yes. So he made that movie, and it was a success. I believe that was the first appearance of the character of Hanuman, which is not uh, an entirely original Sampo creation, since that is the Hindu god. Um, yeah, so I, I don't think Hanuman was was in that, but there there were creatures in that that were then later <laughs> used in the Jumbo and Giant. Yes. So around that time, uh, Subaraya was, which was the you know the seventies, Subaraya was you know sending out their shows, which you know like Return of Ultraman Seven, uh, Ace Taro, and they became very popular in Thailand. And Sampoti was like, yo. I worked with your dad, Yuji Tsuburaya. Why don't we produce an Ultraman movie specifically for the Thai market? And they made Hanuman vs. Seven Ultraman, where the Ultra Brothers team up with the Hindu god Hanuman, who is a little boy, who gets shot in the head by a 
by temple thieves and is revived by the mother of Ultra, who is said to be a devout Buddhist. And then they battle a whole gallery of Ultraman monsters and one monster from Mirror Man. And the day is saved, and, you know, that is, I think, sort of where the ball really starts to get rolling. Uh, after that, um, I, they did a Jumbo Gaze movie since the Jumbo Gaze TV show, another Super Eye production show, was very popular in Thailand as well. And then following that, um, I believe Dick Randall took footage from a re-release of Hanuman vs. Seven Ultraman, which incorporated footage from the Ultraman Zafi movie. Which was not No, not authorized at all. Um, which I think that re-release was Hanuman vs. Eleven Ultraman. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and anyway, some so stuff from Ultraman's story and from the um, Ultraman Zafi movie. Yeah. So they took that movie and they gave it this horrendous dub, like not even not even like kind of funny bad, like genuinely terrible dub. And they released it, I think, on American TV as Space Warriors 2000. And Subarak caught wind of it almost immediately and shut it down. And it kind of lives on as like this sort of, you know really, really bad piece of Ultraman media. Like, you know, it's it's not just, you know, the typical boring episode or so. Like, this is, like, genuinely bottom of the barrel when it comes to Ultraman. It's kind of like a convention bootleg that you just, you get for the fact that it's that bad. Right? Exactly. Like, you watch it, you know, I've, I've shown friends it, and, you know, the best way to clear my house out after a party is just to put that on. You know, if I want to get them out of there quickly, I'll put that on, and most people will be gone about... You know, ten minutes into it. So, anyways, if, if, um, yeah, if, if you want bad racist humor, like that's <laughs> that's where you go. <laughs> so after that, um, the president of Subaraya Productions, Hiroshi Subaraya, dies in ninety, I believe ninety six, ninety five. It was ninety four, wasn't it? Ninety four, right around the, the mid to late nineties, and then. What happens is Sampote comes knocking and he goes, hey, there's this contract I need to show you. And this contract basically stated that Sampote had the rights to the first six Ultra shows, so Q through Taro and Jumborgase. And basically, uh, you know, this contract was full of all sorts of inaccuracies and, you know, wrong episode counts, like they call... Ultra 7, Ultra Man 7, and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. And, you know, Super Eye is thinking, you know, there's, there's no way this is going to fly. But they had a Hanko stamp, which carries a lot of weight in the Japanese courts. And the Japanese courts for the longest time were like, no, this is, this is legit, you know. They, he, the, he, he owns these shows. And then after that, the, the sort of story of Sampode creating the, uh, the Ultraman character and the the series itself and being the true, you know, guy behind it kind of sprung from that. And then it became this 20-year legal battle between Subraya and uh, Chayo, and it only got resolved in 2018. And, like, this, this thing, this legal battle has affected everything from, like, the home video rights to, like, the shows themselves. Like, it's crazy. Um, I, I kind of wonder... If this is a case of like double huckstery, because if you think about what happens is Eiji Tsuburaya dies and then Hajime Tsuburaya dies as Nobuo Tsuburaya has taken over the company, 
uh, Sampo shows up and like, hey, I used to work with your dad and brother, and you know, how about we we work together? And you know, Noboru is like, okay, and then they make this co-production, and then as soon as Noboru dies, he shows up and is like, hey, by the way, that other guy, he gave me the rights to this thing. Yeah, so, that might be his his, his stratagem now. Uh, a little point uh, to add to that story. He actually brought that contract with him to the uh, oh, wow. event I was at. Yeah, I actually held it in my hand. Wow. Uh, I looked over it. It's um, it was it was nice and they had it covered. It was it's not laminated, but it was there. I uh, I looked over the whole. It was just someone was just like here here here's um here's some stuff you want to look at it. And the second I there was this little folder. I just opened up and I immediately knew what this thing was. The stamp was there, everything, and I read over that thing like it was like the 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 Zeruder film. Like I just I was like, what in the hell? Um, it's it's insane. And the sad thing is, is that not a lot of people would appreciate that kind of thing. But the fact that they brought it too just told me I'm like, this is you guys are long conning this thing, and you are far more. Um, uh, you, it, it, there, there, there's a sense of what's the word I'm looking for. There's, they, I mean, they're, 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 they're way too cavalier about this, mm-hmm. and they, I, they had to think that they were like they, they had this shit lock, stock, and barrel, and looking at it like it looks like it was typed by like a, um, an eight-year-old in, on on a typewriter. Like it's, it's just this mess of a thing, and then there's the stamp. The stamp was still there, like it's faded, but you could still see it. I think what happened is they had a piece of paper with the Honko stamp on it. I don't doubt that. Uh, don't uh, doubt apparently, that. Uh, according to what Brad Warner has said, they sometimes this is terrible practice, but uh, Subaraya Productions would, you know, keep, you know, stamp things around just in case they needed to make a make a contract or you know send a letter or something on the fly. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, as a, like as a contract, this should be null and void because it refers to the company as Superaya Prod and Enterprises, mm-hmm. which is not the name of the company. Mm-hmm. It refers to the person signing it as Noboru Trubaraya, which is not his name. And then it's signed in English, which is not how he would have signed. So it's uh, there, there's multiple like aside from the fact that it you know gives them the rights to more episodes of Ultra Seven than exist, you know mm-hmm. things like that. Or refers to things like Ultra Q as Ultraman Zero. Yeah, it was that. And then they had they also claimed um, Jamborg and I want to say what Mirror Man. No, I not Mirror Man. Mirror Man yeah, and uh, one in there. No, it was just Jumborg yeah. Ace. Was it Jumborg? Yeah, it was the, and... the first six Ultraman shows in Jumborg Ace. Thankfully, Mirror Man and Fireman and stuff like Eisenborg and Operation Mystery weren't part of the, the dealie. I don't even think they managed to get shown in Thailand, now that I think about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, well... I, I think it was just basically the the main shows that would have been, you know, I guess not Mirror Man and Fireman, but the main shows that would have been extant at the point where the co-productions were made. Mm-hmm. So much they they with, or, they, uh, they, they fortunately know. weren't yeah weren't claiming to have the rights to um you know let's say uh, eighty or, or anything like that but uh, even even if those actually were the rights they decided to overstep them because then there's also the assertion 
that um, Sampo claimed that he gave Tsuburaya the idea for Ultraman to begin with, which if you look at the timeline, that doesn't add up because he, he left Japan in early 64 uh, and uh, Ultraman didn't actually happen for a couple of years after that. Uh, you could have faxed uh, him. <laughs> Uh, and and then there's the whole uh, whole thing with um, w- w- he basically claims that oh we have you know all all rights to create new Ultraman properties, which is really what kind of becomes an ongoing debate following the uh, you know throughout the the early 2000s and uh, and and going up basically until maybe two or three years ago. So. Let me, let me, if you don't mind, indulge me in another little bit of this manifest story here, uh, as we're talking about this. So this is from the book on the creation of Ultraman. Uh, it was a special place, a special statue, and Sampo tucked away the memory in his mind and the photograph in his books. Apparently, he took a picture of this um, Buddha out in uh, this Buddha statue out in Thailand. And uh, he took that book filled with pictures especially dear to him when he went to Japan. When Tsuburaya told Sampo of his idea for a new superhero, everything clicked into place for the young uh, apprentice. He showed Tsuburaya his photograph of the Buddha for <clears throat> for that face perfectly embodied to Sampo what the new creature should exemplify. He imagined arm movements too, also taken from Buddhism, deliberate, assertive, sure, to com- uh, comprise another essential component of this new half-man, half-other. Sampo's idea was far from complete, not a flesh-and-blood creation, but it was a spark, and Sampo passed that spark onto Subaraya, who immediately brought uh, Tull Narita into the, into discussion. The, in, the inimitable Narita, who would remain a lifelong colleague and comrade of Sampo's, began to draw and began to... Uh, and being... So, yeah, this is, the whole thing is filled with shit. And the being <laughs> took early form. Yeah. Uh, soon there were many others involved in the entire studio's worth. Subarai's full array of studio artists and creative minds, all taking and mixing and inventing individually and together, joining and divining. and it's, It just goes on. Sorry. And growing ideas, fighting for breath, for life, fighting for survival and supremacy. Out of the ferment came the outline of a being, an alien who had traveled to Earth to defend the planet from extraterrestrial monsters of all shapes and sizes, and who had merged his essence with a human to create a new superhero. The being became refined, defined, and not only a look at, at with not only a, a look, but a motion and characteristics, and finally a name, Ultraman. I, I remember a thing where he also claimed that, like, the he, he suggested the name Ottoman as, the, as like, the <laughs> Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. which, uh, uh, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't jive with anything anybody else has ever said about the creation of Ultraman. <laughs> yeah, and, and and that's I think that's part of the thing right there that's like we can we can sit here and like uh, tear into this guy, but there's there I mean it's the the story is so insane that you almost kind of give it a pass because it's it's this weird myth that he's created for himself. I mean he's going to be remembered for this nonsense. Yeah, but the nonsense mm-hmm. is so thick and rich that you're kind of like, I, I'm not mad because this is such an insane story. So this is my this is my sort of hot take as someone who is a huge Ultraman fan. But mm-hmm. and of course, 
I don't want anything bad to happen to Superbad Productions because they make the shows, but mm-hmm. I sort of think that what happened with um, Sampote, I wouldn't say good, but it, it's, it makes the this, this series a little more interesting than if Ultraman was just like just something that happened in Japan, you know. Mm-hmm did its thing because then you've got like this 20 year long legal drama going on that's affecting like creative decisions for the shows and why we can't see Ultraman and you know this and that and just like this weird stuff coming up like you know the the Ultraman Millennium shows and stuff which to me makes Ultraman a little bit more like fascinating to look at than like a lot of other Tokuhiro shows because like this isn't happening to like Kamen Rider or anything like Mm -hmm. this is something that's like just outright bizarre and weird. So I think, you know, it makes, it make, you know, on one hand, it, it sucks. It really does suck that, you know, for the longest time, this company that owns this IP wasn't able to utilize it and almost went under a couple times because they were, you know, dealing with this legal problem. But at the same time, it makes it so interesting to just look at from an outsider's perspective because it's like, it's just so bizarre and it's so weird. Like this, this rant, this, this Thai filmmaker was just like, I own Ultraman now. Yes. Here are the contracts. I don't care that it's wrong. I'm making a Will Smith (laughs) Ultraman movie. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. So let me add to that because I was actually there for the origin of that story. (laughs) So this dates back to 2013 when Sampo shows up uh, to California for the first time when he was trying to get this ball rolling on um, what I believe was a distribution deal. This is actually the origin of where this book came from, was at this show. Um, so we have a local collector, a large-scale collector show out here in Southern California called Frankenstein's Collectibles. It's a giant warehouse. It's not quite an indoor swap meet, and it's not quite a comic book store. It's something in between, and they only sell... Uh, like sports memorabilia and collectible stuff. Like it looks like a miniature Comic Con when you walk in there. So um, around 2013, this place is blown up pretty big. So they started a, um, they built a uh, um, an area for smaller shows within the show. So when they were open on the weekends, uh, a, you can't if you couldn't afford a uh, a proper convention center venue or anything, you could come to Frankenstein's and run a small time show there. So we would do that. I was helping with several of these shows, including a Star Trek show that we had um, like guests and stuff come out. So I show up one day. Um, it's a big weekend. Ironically, it coincided with um, uh, a Raiders of all things, a Raiders meet and greet. I get there, and uh, one of the um, the gentlemen that helps with the shows, he runs a booth, but he's also kind of like their go between between the owners and the and the dealers. And he comes and he's like, hey, man, you like Ultraman, right? I'm like, yeah. He's like, the creator's here. <laughs> and immediately, I'm like, did did Jesus come back to life? Because he's <laughs> dead for nearly 45 years at this point. It's like, no, 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 this this, this other guy. I'm like, yeah, both those guys have been dead. Any, all, any, any the, the dudes involved with it have all been dead for years. He's like, no, no, come on over here. So he comes up. There's this huge banner. And then there's this old Thai dude in a blazer that looks like, um, have you seen what John Lasseter wears all the time? He wears those Hawaiian shirts. Yeah. Put that as a blazer. And that's uh, what this man was wearing. Well, didn't, didn't the pattern, wasn't the pattern on it, not like a Hawaiian shirt pattern, but like little chibi Ultraman guys, like from, uh, I think like from M78 Love and Peace. 
I think that was the second time he showed up because there are pictures from both and they are about a year and a half apart from each other. Um, so he's got a huge banner. It's got the artwork for this book on it. It just says Ultraman Forever. They're passing out these um, these pamphlets that are like these foldouts. They, they're like giant album size covers. They're promoting the film and they're also promoting this. Uh, they're promoting this book and they have a timeline of it's it's a mixture of legit timeline of Ultraman and whatever nonsense this dude is saying. And I'm like, what? who the hell is this? This is the first time I made aware of Sampo. I immediately, like, call a friend. They're like, wait, wait, who's there? I'm like, this guy named Sampo? Like, he's claiming... I was like, I'm coming down. <laughs> and that's when it was filled into me that, uh, yeah, this guy was... I, I had only heard rumblings of... Because, again, before 2013, there wasn't a ton of this stuff on the internet. There was stories, like, I heard from a few people about, like, the legal issues with it, and I didn't really pay much attention, because, to be fair, I love Ultraman, but he's not, he's, like, maybe third on my list of, of things, and there's just, at the time, there was so much, and it's just, it was a pain in the ass at the time to get into, in, get into Ultraman. So, um, so, while I'm there, uh, the, uh, the associate that I work that I was helping, he runs a website called Nuke the Fridge, and he's like, "Hey, can you help me with this interview real quick?" And he's like, "Yeah." So because part of the part and parcel of giving him the space was that you know we get some freebies. It's kind of you know name of the game there at the show. Like we you, you got someone of importance coming, you know you scratch our back, we scratch your kind of thing. So sit down with his translator, and he has one of his reporters sit with him, and he's just like, "You know, things about Ultron's like go." I'm like. I don't know much about what you what this guy is asking because I'm still kind of a little bit in the dark, but I'm kind of aware who this guy is now. So they were asking these questions, and Sampo, uh, they asked they asked Sampo like, "Hey, what's uh, so we're going to see more Ultraman?" And uh, the guy, the Sampo translator, said, "Yeah, yeah, we're working on new stuff." And the reporter, just off the top of his head, says, "Like, hey, you know." Um, we did like a press, like like, like a press thing with uh, Will Smith, like um, like, like a a, a, circ- a press circle. So pretty much, um, like usually these things are about five or six reporters at a table, and you have various people from various, you know, the movie that they're promoting. These people come sit around, they lobby questions, you know, everybody can take them down, and then you you write your art. It's pretty much kind of killing two birds with one stone. So Will Smith, a couple months prior, had mentioned, oh yeah, I love Ultraman. Like I know all this stuff. They passed that to Sampo. Immediately, the next day, as the story gets published, they told the reporter, hey, tell them we're going to get Will Smith to be in our next film, when that exactly was not what was presented. (laughs) They were told, Will Smith loves Ultraman. And then when the story was going out the next day, they had gotten word back from from the handlers, like, hey, we're, we're getting Will Smith. We're gonna get. We reached out to Will Smith. He said yes, and I immediately knew that was Bupkis. But um, they were, you know, as you know, you're going off what's being given to you from the source, so you just kind of run with it. You're just going. You're saying what they're saying, and that's how that rumor started. And this guy rode that rumor for the next four or five years. They were insistent that Will Smith was going to be in this film, to the point that when I went to this press conference about three years later. Uh, or two years later, um, the big announcement was Ultraman 2020 at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics starring Will Smith. And I sat there, and when they announced this, they announced it in English too because they had 
a bunch of um, of uh, American producers there, and they were bringing on like, yeah, we've reached out to Smith's people. We're gonna get him for this. It's gonna be like a twenty million dollar film. And I'm just immediately I'm like, oh my god, you guys fell for this BS too. Holy crap! Like, what? Like, I thought you guys were smarter than this. I, knowing full well that there's no way in hell Will Smith is a doing a tie production, b being in an Ultraman film, and c doing anything for less than twenty million. Like that is <laughs> yeah. his, that that's yeah. his budget alone. So it, it it all comes back to I think the you know there was when he was promoting Hancock he uh, he was asked either on Leno or Letterman or one of those shows like what's a superhero you watched growing up and then he's like oh I watched Ultraman and of course mm-hmm. no, nobody knows what that is mm-hmm. but that nugget stuck in, in people's head so of course whenever there was the speculation about oh they should do an American you know Hollywood movie. Uh, his name gets mentioned all the time because, like, uh, he's he's the guy that knows what it is. <laughs> yeah, much like Brad Pitt knows what War of the Gargantuas is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We should we should make we should have uh, Brad Pitt be Gyra then when they yeah. when they do that for the MonsterVerse phase two. <laughs> That's happening, right, guys? Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so, from let's let's go back. To, so, uh, Connor into the productions yes. of these things. So. Uh, these are uh, the the two films are legit. The the two films he produced, right? Yes, um, yes. The uh, Hanuman vs. Seven Ultraman and Jumbo Ace and Giant were both legitimate. And up until about this is funny. Up until about the uh, Sampota came knocking around ninety six or ninety five or so. Tsuburaya would actually reference Hanuman in, like, reference books and such. And Hanuman himself makes a cameo appearance in uh, Ultraman Super Fighter Legends, this anime OVA that ties into the Gekiden manga series and toy line. So up until that point when Sampote, you know, was like, hey, I own Ultraman now, they were, like, fully on board with acknowledging this as part of the greater Ultraman canon. So, which is a bit of a shame in my opinion, um, since I, my hot take, um, mm-hmm. I, I do actually really like Hanuman vs. Seven Ultraman. It's very, it feels very Godzilla vs. Megalon, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Um, in terms of just, like, it, it's like vision and what it wants to do. And I think if this never happened and, like, this was just a random co-production, like, you know, Great or USA, <clears throat> this this would probably be, like, a cult favorite in the fandom. People would be like, oh, yeah, you're not an Ultraman fan. Do you watch Hanuman vs. Seven Ultraman? This one this one rules. Like, they're bringing Hanuman back for Ultra Galaxy Fight 3. He's teaming <laughs> up with Reboot and Powered and Great. Mm-hmm. We got all the foreign characters running around now. Um, but unfortunately, due to that, uh, it's now going to be kind of seen as, oh, this is where it all began. This is where the problem started. It's kind of the, the elephant in the room when it comes to discussing the the movie, which I I, I tend to agree with. Uh, I I actually I like it quite a quite a fair bit as well. Uh, you know I I don't like the I don't like Space Warriors 2000, but the actual Hanuman uh, versus a uh, Seven Ultraman, I I can I can get behind that one. I mean, um, it's it, it's a little nutty, but it's it is it is a legitimately fun film. Like you can tell. There is some, there is love for these characters and putting that they, essentially, we're just trying to create something fun in in 
whatever their own image was and whatever the the vision was but um it again uh, connor's assessment is pretty apt it does feel like godzilla versus megalon in many ways it's a structurally weird movie because it's like the full first half is is kind of this kid getting killed and taking revenge <laughs> on all of these uh these these uh, uh statue thieves it's, it's very it's, sort of like proto ong bok but yeah, it's, it's actually genuinely horrific um <laughs> Because he, he grabs them and he, like, squishes them in his hands and you see, like, just blood oozing out. Um, so, like, it's funny because it's, like, you know, those are the bad guys and everything. But it's, like, you know, it's, like, Hanuman's, like, huge and, like, you know, does he really need to just squish these guys? I also do like that when he transforms, he does do the Ultraman, like, yeah. oh yeah the camera, too. Which was That's really sick. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so then it, like it flips the switch, and then there's a monster army, and the Ultraman actually show up, and, mm-hmm. and then it's a, a different movie from then on, but uh, yeah. it's still fun. In some really raggedy, beat up suits that uh, were very, let's just say they're very worn and loved. We'll just put it that way, like 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 an old book. Well, they they weren't the same suits that were used in the TV productions for the most part. Were they uh, show was... suits, like live suits? They might have been. Um, I'm not too familiar about. Most of the suit history, I do believe. I do know that the, uh, I believe the the dustpan suit is the original one from Mirror Man, just aged and kind of rotting at this point. Because when you watch it, they they look a little. I don't know if it's just the way they shot the film, but the suits. I've remember it's been a little while since I actually watched it. I believe, recall Ultra Seven looking a little worse for wear. And the monsters especially looked really beat up. That being said, right around that time of, like, Taro and Leo, if you watch those shows, like, the Ultraman suits don't really look good. Like, you watch episode one of Leo and Leo, Seven's missing yeah. his ears, and, you know, yeah. you see the the temporary crossover of Taro, and they all look kind of ratty at that point. Like, you know, get the the suits get so dusty you can't really tell Jack, Zoffy, and Ultraman mm-hmm. from each other. It's, you know what? You know what's oddly reminiscent of? It's reminiscent of the Godman shorts. Yes. In many aspects, yeah. Where it's just you're, they're kind of sagging. They look a little pathetic, but you know what? There's there's a charm to it though. I, I like the I, I like this movie a lot more than the uh, Jumbo Gase and Giant one though. So I think they were that 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 might be kind of peak Chayo right there mm. is uh, the Ultraman crossover. Well, from there, they... Oh, sorry, lost my Chayo list. I had a whole list right here. So they did those, and then uh, after the six Ultra Brothers and the Jamborgays, then they actually went in, in deep diving into the world of copyright infringement, legitimately, uh, with the uh, Hanuman and the Five Riders. Uh, Kevin, can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that one? Uh, yeah, I mean, that was basically just a... a I, I think they uh, saw that they could do well with that. And uh, they decided, well, uh, Ultraman's big, but Kamen Rider's bigger. Uh, And uh, then they, without the consent of Toei at all, just went ahead and and made this bootleg Kamen Rider movie, uh, which is, uh, it's something. It's definitely something. All right. Uh, Those are, you know, because it's, it's bootleg, like those suits don't look good at all. uh, And there's, Uh, there's lots of footage kind of lifted from from the shows proper, which I, I think actually uh, they they use you know the Five Riders versus Dark King um, movie footage for for some parts of it, um, but 
Yeah, it's it's I I've seen it once upon a time. It's it's been a it's been a hot minute, but uh, it it does have some you know the, the uh, Dark King you know walking around from uh, Ultraman X and stuff. So it's yes. uh. What I'm re- what the what little information there is about it just it pretty much yeah it's backing up what you're saying like they they pulled like an American Power Rangers with it used uh, the Japanese footage and then when they needed to intercut it uh, new footage with new suits that don't match anything they were um, about as uh, as authentic as uh, as a um, uh, like like a suit you would see at like a supermarket like signing like hey. Yogi Bear is going to be here, and you know Yogi walks out looking like <laughs> yeah. uh, he was stitched together by somebody's grandmother. I, I think I said Ultraman X when I meant Common Rider X, and that just mm-hmm. shows I have not had enough caffeine today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is also it's getting a little late on your end. That's it's that's, yeah, that's it's okay. <laughs> so from there, it actually we went, we went into so he actually started producing like legitimate films after that. We have. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, of nine. I've, I just noticed Space Warriors on here. Ten and eleven. So eleven films outside of uh, these kind of appropriated films, like uh, the most famously Crocodile was, I think, his big film, right? It's the one that kind of got a, a release out here. Yeah, well, Crocodile's an interesting one because there's the movie Crocodile Fangs, which is a mm-hmm. Korean movie that was a Thai co-production, and then there's the Thai movie Crocodile, and as far as I can tell, those are the same movie, but they have two different IMDb pages, mm-hmm. uh, and I I did a, a lot of looking into it and didn't get any straight answers about what the actual you know differences are between them. But then, of course, the Thai version comes to the U.S. and gets recut again again to have uh you know yet other uh actors and things in it so uh hopefully this is something that um it's supposed to be getting a blu-ray uh through synapse films at some point and hopefully whenever that happens they can uh clear up the troubled production history behind uh crocodile because it's 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 really interesting like if you if you look at information about the movie in Korean versus information about the movie in Thai, you get completely different kind of accounts of who all was involved, um, despite them nominally being the same movie. Yeah. Which, again, goes... I mean, it, it feels like... I mean, we're already see, we're seeing a, uh, uh, a theme starting here with this man in his production. So mm-hmm. it doesn't... It feels like everything... Um, was shot on another planet, then brought over here, and no one can get a a straight story about anything. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what he what he had his hand in. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Noble War was was the the other you know from 1984 that uh, that has uh, sort of the return of, of Hanuman in it, and it actually uses some some stock footage from the uh, six other six Ultra Brothers movie as, as well as from Crocodile. So uh, he's uh, he's not averse to uh, some some stock footage here and there. Oh, no, no. So, last movie I'm seeing is Magic Lizard, which was in 85. Yep. Um, I've not com- seen that one. Have you seen that one? I, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't seen it in full. I know the villains from Jumborgase, uh, Jump Killer Jr. and uh, Demon Gorn, uh, the, the final boss of Jumborgase, the, mm-hmm. both show up in that. Um wasn't there Computer Superman? Didn't they do a movie called that around that time too? Uh, 
that's possible. I'm not. Um, I'm looking I'm at not sure. so 85. They have um, Karathong two and uh, Noble War uh, in 84, and then something in Thai that I'm not even going to begin to pronounce because I'm just going to butcher the crap out of it. Yeah, that, that was the period when they when they uh, re uh, re released uh, the you know. This this was when Return of Godzilla was coming out, so everybody mm-hmm. wanted their own their own kaiju thing, and that's when they released um, the Ultraman movie, incorporating the new footage. Also, um, I'm looking for I'm looking for the for Computer Superman. I'm not I'm not seeing that, but uh, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. The documentation just might not be complete there. <laughs> Yeah, well, again, like as as I was, we were talking off before we started. There's shockingly not a lot about this this man, or a lot of information about the actual productions on online at all. Um, you read the uh, his wiki page, and it it's very much feels like it was written by whoever wrote this book, <laughs> um, and then somebody came in and edited it, saying, "No, this is this is nonsense." But I'm just gonna leave this because in itself, this is almost. Uh, like a bad poetry, you know, uh, uh, session that you kind of have to see to believe. Um, because, yeah, it's full of a lot of... Uh, let's just... Uh, let's just self-relating I- information in here. We'll just put it that way. Well, his it, it's Thai Wikipedia page is interesting because it, it says, like, his last movie is The Magic Lizard, after which he decided to focus on Ultraman. But then he doesn't... Do anything. Do anything for ten, <laughs> 10 years. Yeah. So I, I kind of, there's got to be something going on there. And it sure. took him a while to come up with an idea. Come on, man. You yeah. can't, you can't rush genius. Well, I believe the, 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 I mean, he, his home was his, was his old movie studio. Uh, I believe that's part of the legend. Like I've seen pictures of his house, which is this grand like manor outside of, um, I want to say it's outside of Bangkok somewhere. And uh, they actually had pictures um, at this event, too. He's got, like, a gigantic Ultraman head, like, on the property, like, when you go into the gates. And then his – it's 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 weird. The architecture, the architecture of the place is very weird, which leads me to believe that maybe there's some truth to the, to the story that he pretty much turned his little movie studio into his, his living quarters. Um, and it is jam-packed with Ultraman stuff. So – my, you know, if he was, uh, if he took a ten-year break, all he did in that time was buy stuff because uh, the pictures I've seen are like it, it. It would make any collector like blush. He's got stuff in here I've never seen before. Statues, yeah, it's figures. Uh, from what I've heard, he actually does have a lot of the original Tol Narita artwork since he befriended Narita before his death. Mm-hmm. Um, because Narita was wasn't too happy about the uh, the whole royalty things with Subaraya and like the Ultraman and Kaiju designs. And he befriended him and was basically, yeah, Hey, you want, you want this, you know, these, these con- pieces of concept art. Sure. You can have them. Why not? And hence they show up in this book. Yeah. Well, and, and he had a, he had an Ultraman theme park also. Do you, yeah. Do you was, know the timeline with that? That I don't know about. That I tried looking up, and um, I the only I've only heard like bits and pieces and stuff. I couldn't find a single thing about it. I, I looked, and 
Uh, unfortunately, I actually reached out to. I, this is all weird because I went. Uh, I've been doing some rummaging around here and clearing out some stuff. I found a lot of the contact information from that event that I went to, including the American producers that were going to produce this magical Ultraman film. Uh, I reached out to a lot of people, and uh, I only got a few heard. I only heard back from a few, and all said the same thing. They're like, literally after that show ended. We never heard from these people ever again. Mm. Like nothing. Not, like uh, uh, the American producers uh, pretty much said like they didn't even get into like a scripting stage. Because um, I every, I'm like, would you want to come on and tell your story? They're like, there's really not much of a story to be told. We were approached. Uh, we were told what the project is. We said, yeah, we can do it. And then after that big press conference, everyone just kind of vanished. Um, I. I and and after that it was 2015 he never came back to the states ever again as far as i as far as i know they were going to set up a shop out here uh i reached out to those people didn't hear back from them i i'm pretty sure their email ad the email address that was given is probably gone because uh, it looked like it was um like a private email that was bought like through like um, um like a, a like a, a web hosting service and nothing nothing is there so it's almost like this thing um like came in like a uh, in, in a dust devil and then just disappeared as quickly as it as it showed up. What's what's kind of interesting is you get that you know if you look at the the 70s and 80s there's a lot of diversity in, ter- in terms of what Chai is doing, but after they get involved in this in the Ultraman case it's basically all Ultraman with it. The one exception is in 2001 they they made a TV show called Hyperbots, mm-hmm. but aside from that everything that they are talking about is Ultraman related. I, I got a feeling that's because the, my my personal my personal um, assumption on this, especially knowing if you read into like stories in Hollywood and, and people who have rights to certain things, um, I, I, I want to say famously there was a person there was a guy that claimed to own the rights to Lord of the Rings for the longest time, and fought New Line and the Tolkien estate over this, and I think it came out of the Ralph Bakshi films of any of everything. Um, it's when you have when you hold on to that one thing. Um, instead of trying to parlay it into other things, you kind of you're cornered into a, you're backed into a corner, and you think that this is the only thing that's going to get you out of it. Mm. Um, that's what mm-hmm. it seems like when he showed up um, at at Superaya and threw that BS contract down. I, it feels like this was grasping at straws. Um, I again, I don't doubt the man doesn't have love and affection for the clear. I mean, no, he I, his collection. I. I think he, I think he definitely does love Ultraman, and I think you know, in a better world, he could have been like a very eccentric but beloved figure in the fandom, and maybe we would have seen like a, a new Thai Ultraman co-production show or movie in like the mm-hmm. '90s or so when they were doing that, you know, revival of the series around Tiga and so. But I, th- I think it's a very selfish and unhealthy love like it's a very he's very consumed with the idea of this is mine Mm -hmm. i'm not part of this i am this this is mine i created it i made it what it is i will make it even better it's it's classic sociopath yeah the guy that uh, talking to him you can tell that he is he he was clearly a sociopath yes Um, even that that translates in any language i mean the guy like in the 15 minutes I got to talk with him, um, you know, in, not only that, but there was, I, there was, I was just spitballing stuff because I, 
I was t trying to tiptoe around what I can ask, what you know, the translators were going to translate, uh, and there were there were points like I was just kind of pulling stuff out of my ass, like you know, I'm like, hey, do you think you'd ever reach out to Tony Jaw to star on one of these things? And I, the, when it was translating, he, he just heard the name Tony Jaw. He got real. He just got this frown on his face. He's like, no, no jaw, no jaw. No like in the English, he's like, no jaw. I'm like, oh, okay. So I think you know, I, I think you know, at the time, you know, this I mean, even 2015, Tony Jaw's um, star had waned on, in and of itself at that point. But I think in Thailand, it's still for him. It, it feels like that success where I didn't have the same success. You know, like the yeah. Thai industry was it had a shining moment. It felt like. He probably could have jumped in on that, but he was the person that got in his own way. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, with all this, I mean, he was adamant, adamant, we're doing this and we're going to be producing new films. Um, and that uh, Ultraman, uh, Project Ultraman was going to see the light of day. That was, those were the big things. Oh, and buy my gaudy as hell merchandise that he produced i'm gonna i gotta that, uh, photographs of these things that i remember that one ultraman statue made out of what gems or something it was made out of crystal it was a crystal statue <laughs> these things it was the first thing when i walked into this thing I, they're like here come check this stuff out so they had a gigantic uh it was either like a band presto or um Maybe an early X plus like Gamora and Jira's figure like sitting like on the table with them. Yeah. Which they were passing off that they were going to sell these things that these were their own creations. I'm like I've seen these before. I know what these are. And then the rest were. How can I say this without sounding horrifically racist? Um, stuff that only Southeast Asians would really truly enjoy. Um. Where I work, where I live, uh, we have a very large um, Vietnamese and Korean population. Yeah. Um, and uh, I used to work for um, a, a dealership, so I would deliver parts to a lot of these garages that were Vietnamese owned. And let's just say the decor would fit in with what he was selling. So it's it, they were the, none of these things were aimed at Americans because I don't know anybody in the right mind out here that would spend. The eighteen hundred to two thousand dollars they were asking for these two crystal statues because they looked like uh, it was a paper mache figure that they dunked in glue and then just rolled around in these crystals and painted. Um, they actually there was two statues that they made were, which actually looked pretty good and I even told them like these actually might have a chance if you guys actually get this thing going and uh, apparently they were still to be the you know to be you know at, you know approved. But the, they were heavily pushing these these two crystal things. I'm like, they're like, there's only gonna be 1,200 made. I'm like, well yeah, that's it's the lemonade. Like you charge $500 for a glass of lemonade, you might only sell one, but you got $500 out of it. I think that mm -hmm. was the mentality. There was shady business practices up and down this entire thing. I mean, the, these crystal things very well might have been for the the Thai audience to begin with because there's a whole, you know, one of the I think hypotheses that you put forth was the whole. Mm -hmm. The press conference was just for the sake that it would make the news in Thailand that he was yes. meeting with people in Hollywood, right? <clears throat> it, that, that was, by the end of the show, that is very much what I came away with. Um, everybody, there was myself, there was a, um, a another reporter, uh, Paula Gatos there, who used to run the Tokusatsu Network, and then the, um, the three producers for the Ultran film, 
and then that was it. We were the only like Americans there that I could honestly say like none of us had any Thai connections. Um, they had translators there. They when I walked in, um, it was upstairs in a Thai restaurant in a ballroom. Um, there was maybe about. 40 or 50 people in this whole thing, and I was on one side of the room, Sampa was in the middle, Paul was in the other end, we kind of connected real quick to kind of trade notes, and then we sat through what I would call a Kim Jong-il level propaganda video <laughs> that was 90 minutes long, and they rolled it out on a TV stand, like, you were. it's a rainy day at school, and guess what, we're going to be watching... You know, uh, remember the Titans because we can't go outside. So this is what they rolled it out on. They popped it in a DVD, and I had this. They 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 gave me a translator. It was this young dude, who I'm 99% sure was only there because he had a hot as hell girlfriend who was acting as one of the models. And they're like, "Can you come here and hang out? And you speak both Thai and and uh, English." So this guy had no clue who any of these people were. He made that known to me when I sat down, and pretty much through the through the uh, video, which I'm watching from afar. So this the screen is only like a 32 inch like flat screen at the time, and it's mm-hmm. tied down on this this dolly thing. Um, I can see what's going on, and the the video, the audio sounds like it's uh, one of those um, uh, like educational films when you go to like a, a like, like a national park, like it's just muffled it's poorly edited it's it's kind of like a recap of what's in this book but there's there was so much more and the poor dude uh could not keep up because even he's stopping he's like wait what what the hell did they just say um and he's trying to translate this without sounding like it's a um like a dog and pony show and at the at a point i just told him like dude like i get i'm i'm cool like if there's anything like that's popping out that i should know like or i'll i'll i need to ask i'll just like no, thank god thank you <laughs> so um yeah from there it just went into uh him uh just parading everything was in thai nothing was in english the banners were in thai all the press material was in thai they did have some english stuff that they gave me they had a few english um, published uh, like flyers and stuff because they did have intentions of setting up a store out here. Once they got to know the Frankincense people, they were going to set up a child store at the Frankincense location. They were going to buy wow. a space and they were going to st- that was going to be one of the first places this merchandise was going to be sold. Um, the big thing was afterwards they were th- this whole thing went like four hours. It was long and it was like I was sitting in a David Lynch film during this time like, because everything was just so surreal and weird uh there was a point when i'm walking around uh the one of the handlers is like yeah if you want to talk to sampo give us like 20 minutes he's doing some interviews no one everyone was thai every, it was all thai press i think there was a korean newspaper that was there as well um i was walking around looking at uh the figures and i was approached by one of the handlers and some photographers they're like Oh, uh, you're you're a reporter, right? I'm like, yeah. It's like, oh, you like this stuff, right? I'm like, yes, I yes I do. It's like, do you mind if we take picture with you? I'm like, <laughs> like no, can you take picture with with, with with the stuff? I'm like, okay. So they're like, pick up, pick up, pick pick, pick it up. I'm like, you want me to pick this up? So I picked the, the one of the ultra, not the the the, the 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 crystal statue, but one of the more the one of the figures. And then they had me pose next to the Gamora and Jira's figure. 
And then, like, thank you. And then they just walked off. It wasn't until, like, later that day when I kind of started putting two dude together and I, I was talking to Paula. She's like, I'm pretty sure they white-faced you. And I don't know if you guys – Connor knows – I think he knows. What I, think, I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you both know. So uh, that is a tactic, I think, mostly out of China, right? Where yeah. if you want to really promote something in your homeland and make it look a little more spiffy, you get a white guy to do it because it adds – for some reason, it adds some sort of validity to it. Um, I had, I'm like, cool. They somewhere there's, I guarantee there's probably in a in a Thai newspaper, my mug holding like Juris and going ah, like <laughs> big shit eating grin on my face, uh, and saying like, hey, you know, big American, you know, newspaper loves, you know, um, loves Ultraman and loves Chayo, even though like I was just a small little online press thing. I've got I've got a friend who who made a career of that for some years in in Taiwan. <laughs> Probably paid very good. I don't doubt it. If it was, I'm, there's I'm morbidly curious if there's you know if if my picture is out there somewhere. I, I gotta hopefully you know it, one of those days someone someone can see something. But uh, that, anyway, I digress. That 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 whole thing. Walking out of it after I wrote that story, I had people reach out to me like, you know, like you know, he's a BS artist. I'm like, believe me, the whole thing felt like it was a tax evasion, um, uh, like party, like pretty much like we we're setting up like a, a shell corporation because we're funneling money into something that we don't want the government to know about. That's how the whole thing came across. But the fact that they came uh, loaded with what felt like legitimate aspirations to bring Ultraman over, they. Started talking about DVD releases, which I believe that turned into the Shout Factory releases. Yes. If uh, I'm not if I'm not mistaken, do you have any? Do you yeah, have they any? Uh, the they became the the, the Q and Seven releases. Yeah, the here. BCI sets had had already happened, um, but 20, 2013 that that might have been after the the Q and Seven stuff. Maybe okay. it, was a, it was around that time. Um, but yeah, so they had set up the kind of a, a an affiliate company, UM Corporation, from whom Shout Factory and and BCI and and I guess Mill Creek technically had licensed the uh, the rights to those three shows. Um, but you know, Shout Factory had flat out said that they weren't interested in the in the rest of them, which was kind of interesting. So, mm-hmm. um, so but, for what? For those who don't know, for I mean, now we live in a golden age. Mill, yeah, I mean, Mill Creek is releasing everything under the sun. Um, sadly, not Ultron towards the future. Um, <sighs> yeah, almost yeah. everything. Almost everything. Uh, I guess I'll have to fork out the hundred and ninety dollars for that Blu-ray set. But uh, yeah, but for a long time there was almost next to nothing. There was. It was Mill Creek that released that bare bones, weird kind of Ultraman, like the original series, right? They did the original series, and then we got Seven and Q over here. And if you wanted to watch the other shows in Jumbo Gates, you had to import Malaysian DVDs, which is how I saw the rest of the Showa era stuff back in the day. So, yeah, yeah. I remember there was a point of contention among some people who were like, I'm never going to support Chaya, and... I remember uh, a couple of friends saying, like, did you buy the Shell Factory releases? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, well, you, you inadvertently supported Child. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way we got this stuff. I mean, I mean, it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, they did see some profits out of the, I'm, I'm assuming some profits out of this if they managed to get that far uh, into licensing this stuff. In fact, I mean, 
there was even actually there was much more out of that licensing. I mean, um, we want to go into it. The uh, what what were those Chinese animated films uh, that had the bootleg Ultra? The the Dragon Force, right? Dragon yeah, Force, yeah, yeah. Those are also it, through UM Corporation. So. Yeah. Can anybody elaborate on those? Because I am I, in the dark on it. From what I've heard, I haven't seen them yet. But Dragon Force is apparently some superhero show from China, and they made a movie where they replaced a character in it with Ultraman, and then they had him show up in another movie, and then they had him show up in, I think, one of the Dragon Force TV shows, like a 13-episode season. Mm -hmm. And the big infamous part of this was when they had a, uh, <laughs> they had a press conference and then this guy decked out in body paint and this really hideous mask as Ultraman, and it made it made um, it made some waves across the internet a couple years ago. And I think, if I remember right, uh, Shinosuka Ultraman Dinos actor Takeshi Saruno, um, he even like tweeted like this is a fake Ultraman. This is the this is the Ultraman that is out to destroy children's dreams or something <laughs> like that. And and then after that, Super I was like, we're taking we're taking uh, we're taking this to court against Blue Arc. And later that year, um, the the U.S. court ruled in favor of Super Aya and Chayo and Blue Arc and all these other companies that were tied up in this lost, which is why. Shortly afterwards, the next year, like, right on Ultraman Day, we had, oh, we're releasing everything. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I feel kind of bad for you. For, I, I feel like Blue Arc was probably bamboozled uh, in, in, in this case also, but, uh, you know, they could have done their homework a little bit better. Well, let's talk about the, the, the end game. Let's, um, the fall, if you will. Um, yeah, you all right, Connor? My dog is giving me crap right now. Okay, all right. That's <laughs> she is good. running up and attacking me. <laughs> Sorry, okay. Uh, just making sure you're okay over there. No, um, I'm fine. So, let's, okay, so 2015, he's out here uh, hustling, trying to get, you know, whatever he has left sold. And I think it's not long after that that they go back to court. Uh, if I'm not if like maybe like 2016. Yeah, I mean the court the court battles have been kind of like ongoing um, for for quite a while, and the, it was interesting because the Japanese courts would side with the Japanese company, and the Thai courts would mm. side with the Thai company, and it kind of wound up being a bit of a standstill. Uh, meanwhile, in Thailand, they're going ahead and producing a bunch of stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, we, we mentioned, well, maybe we mentioned on air that might have been beforehand that there's the whole Project Ultraman uh, well, let's, thing. Let's, 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 before we go further, let's delve into that real quick, too. I think that's yeah. a good point to jump into. So Project Ultraman was essentially like Sampo's, like, dream Ultraman project of his own creation, right? Yes, uh, so this is a TV show. I've got, I've got information on this. I wrote... Okay. This for my site, an article um, of based on what I know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say grain of salt, of course, because mm. I had to I had to do some digging, and I can't you know really verify what a lot of this information is, but mm -hmm. I do think it's interesting. So Project Ultraman uh, was going to be a TV show, I believe, released right around the end of the 2000s, and it would have starred three different Ultraman. We would have had uh, Ultraman. 
Millennium, he was another M78 Ultraman. He would have had Ultraman Elite, which I'll get to in a minute, along with Ultraman Dark, who would have been kind of an Ultraman Belial or Agil kind of figure, who was an evil Ultraman who turns good later. Um, so the plot of the show is that there was this kaiju, which, according to various sources I found, was called Merryway. And Merryway is like this big kind of jellyfish eyeball monster. Um, for the for the viewers at home or listeners, I guess, uh, imagine Starro, um, but with but made out of terrible CGI. And you've got Merryway. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So Merryway crashes into the Earth, and what happens is Merryway causes the entire it, it causes this horrible ecological devastation, and you know everything's devastated. Coastal Asia's destroyed. There's climate change, wastelands, you know, all sorts of stuff, and. This mysterious organization called S founds a, de- a defense team named Base to combat the various aliens and kaiju, and that's where Ultraman Millennium comes in because he, you know, of course he takes a human host and he battles a couple, char- you know, a couple characters in that. We don't have too much information about what goes on, though. I've heard some. There was this one character named Alien Elubo who would have. And this character shows up in a couple Thai Ultraman ads, and he shows up in the Ultraman 40 live show. Um, and he would have been like an alien that doesn't like humanity's progression and thinks, you know, the Ultras destroyed his home planet, so he's after them. And there would have been Ultraman Dark, who would have been revealed to have been a good Ultraman, who was a father, who was a friend of, a uh, father of Ultra before he was uh, convinced to go to the dark side by Elubo or something or other. And Elite, which is uh, the the other heroic ultra, would have been created by uh, S, the mysterious organization, which kind of makes him a prototype for uh, Ultraman Geet a little bit, um, in a sense. So the uh, so there, there's some wacky rumors about what would have been in the show. Um, again, I can't confirm it too much, but I've heard rumors that Spell from the infamous band episode of Ultra Seven was going to be a monster of the week in that show. Um, which just makes it feel just even more, like, forbidden, in my opinion. Um, I've heard rumors that Hanuman was going to be a Monster of the Week at some point. Um, but if you look at the trailer for uh, Project Ultraman, which ties into the name of the show, there's these kind of Evangelion-looking characters who wear these these metal masks and uh, these red robes. And they these guys, who are S, are looking to... Uh, use the DNA of the Ultraman to evolve mankind, and they're behind the creation of Ultraman Elite, which I, I I don't, I can't say, like, it's very, it's something I can see in, like, the Japanese stuff, but, like, I do think it's interesting enough that I, I want to see where it would have gone. Um, but no, Project Ultraman, if you watch it, it's, it's, it's Ultraman, but it, it doesn't feel like Ultraman. Like, if you watch, like, any of the other foreign Ultraman productions, you know, like, whether that's USA or Powered or Great or Reboot or whatever, they all still kind of have that feeling that they kind of feel like they're part of that bigger, cohesive picture of Ultraman. And then you look at the Project Ultraman trailer, which, you know, again, bootleg, and it, it kind of feels like it doesn't really get, you know, the, the ethos or what makes Ultraman work. What's just um, that weird sizzle reel that's out there, right? Yes, just that weird yeah. sizzle reel that's out there. 
which might not even be indicative of what the show actually was going to be. I don't. It, it was ever confirmed that was actually stuff used in the show, or was it just a proof of concept? I I, I do not know. Um, I tend to assume that it is for the uh, for the actual show, but it it could have easily just been like a here's what we can do, here's the show, uh, buy into it. I wouldn't be shocked if some day had that sizzle reel made just to get investors and then just kind of would kick his feet and be like, oh, maybe we'll make a show. I don't know. We're working on it. You know, maybe we get more money. Um, but again, I, I don't know. With the, with the courts ordering 85% of that show to be destroyed, not, not 85%, but the all, all of it to be destroyed, um, you know, it might have existed at some point or it might have been just, you know, a sizzle reel. We, I guess we, yeah. we won't know. They, they might have been saying, oh, we're 85% of the way done if we can get some more uh, investment here. <laughs> like, yeah. So, God, I mean, they, they actually they rolled a little bit. There were some stage shows, weren't, were there not? Yeah. Yes, there was the uh, the Ultraman 40 live show, um, which had all the uh, Showa Ultraman fighting with uh, the new Chaya ones. Um, but other than that... There is a there's Ultraman the animation right? Yes, there's Ultraman the animation, which is this kind of it's kind of like Ultraman Kids, but it's it's CGI animated. It's not very good. Um, Wait, okay, this is the first time I'm actually hearing about this. Can you elaborate a little bit on what? The so there was a while back. Um, I I read I think it was an Asia Week a lot mm-hmm. some Asia Week article from uh, 2001 or so that. <clears throat> They were making a show called Ultraman the Animation, and that they uh, did 26 episodes of it. However, um, I haven't been able to find all 26 episodes. But on YouTube, there is this this Thai Ultraman cartoon. Um, it's not called Ultraman the Animation, but I, I feel like that more than likely it is it. Just because, you know, Occam's Razor and all that. Hmm. And it's it's a, it's essentially a show. You've got the six Ultra Brothers, and they live, you know, on an Ultra planet. And you know, they're kids, and they get into misadventures. Like they, oh, they go kind of camping in this one episode, or this little space alien disguises themselves as uh, as the Ultra, you know, as the Ultra Brothers, and is you know playing pranks on them. Or you know, one episode is about Ace teaching this alien kid how to fight against his bullies, that kind of stuff. Um, it's not very it's 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 not very good, but it's it's watchable enough for a show that's in Thai with no subtitles. But <laughs> it's it's kind of an interesting blip in this like weird sort of saga of Chayo and Ultraman. I kind of wonder if the if the Funko Pops were based on that uh, that aesthetic as well, because the 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 Ultraman Funko Pops have that thing going on where they have the you know. The, the yellow eyes with the black pupils, which we've yeah. seen in, mm-hmm. in some stuff, like um, uh, mm-hmm. a, a a su- Super Fighter Legend, yeah, things things like that. But the, because I think the Funko Pops were originally licensed through UM Corp, I kind of wonder if um, if that might have been a, a step along the way or something if they gave them reference materials. It would yeah. make sense. I mean, there's 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 they. Again, like we're talking about, like the guy was was a huckster and like kind of a BS artist, but he legitimately got some stuff done out of this stuff. I do believe there was a line of figures. In fact, I can't get to it now, but there was about 12, 13 years back, um, 
I was perusing the uh, a, a local 99 cent store, and all the chains around around my area had these Ultraman carded figures. They were these five inch figures, and they all came with like a little medallion. Um, and they all had the child logo that they were mm-hmm. that they used for everything. And again, later on, found out like yeah, these were child produced figures. Now God only knows where the 99 cent store, the good people in the 99 cent store corporation, picked these up from, but. If, if they're picking them up, it was meant for something else, and they could not sell them. So, and I, ironically, I've seen these things actually go on eBay now for uh, for what they are at, at a price I would never pay for. Um, they're not the greatest quality, but you had all, you had every character that they had um, access to. So all Zafi, Ultraman, Seven, Toro. I think their father and mother of Ultra were even in this line too, hmm. um, and then I believe um, I got a, a, a um, there was a there was a like a high grade figure set. There was there was two Ultraman. They looked similar to the um, they were they were they were the classic Ultraman look, but they kind of had like the the mock-up of what the tie versions looked like, and they were like a, a double figure set. They're still out there somewhere. But they were like uh, it. Oh, Are you talking about the the super real Chogoking? It might be those. Yeah, it might. There was two of them. They came in a. They came in one yeah. box with with knees that are prone to break. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's the. Yeah, those are the ones. Yeah, I I love the aesthetic of those, but uh, mm-hmm. they are uh, they're they disaster like prone. They built like an old Nika figure, pretty much. They were yeah. not, not meant to be taken up. Yeah, the, a, a dealer always tried to pawn these things off me, and they always wanted like. 250 bucks. I'm like, oh, no, there's no, no, no. <laughs> goddamn, there's no way in hell I'm giving you that money for that. Because they thought they had gold. They all, everyone thinks they always have gold with this stuff. So, so I mean, past the book, I, I got some other weird stuff here, but I, the lasting legacy is always going to be this Ultra 7 figure that stares at me from my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> and a couple of the medallions. I actually, I, I gave the rest to a family friend whose kid was like super into Godzilla. So they're like, yeah, he knows who Ultraman is. I'm like, here, you can, you can have these. Um, they, ironically, they were, the paint job lasted a lot better than any of the Bandai stuff that was ever released. I'll give them that. So, they did not scratch as hard as, uh, as the Bandai stuff did. So, ironically, there's a sense of quality in something that Chayo did. Yeah, I, I think it's, you know, just in general, I think now that the, the damage is, is, is starting to heal in terms of mm. we're finally able to to get everything, everything's back in the in the Tsuburai house, including, funnily enough, uh, the the two movies that they made uh, mm-hmm. with uh, with are Chayo they, or no? Are they acknowledging are, them again? They're they're not acknowledging them, but the courts have ruled that uh, Tsuburai actually has the rights to those. Oh wow! So okay. hypothetically, <laughs> uh, and they are a company that is very prone to just making everything available, at least mm. in Japan. I don't know if there's a if there might still this might be a fresh wound. There might be baggage associated, but it would be it would be really cool if they were just like, "Hey, here's the here's the the Blu-ray set of, of this yeah, movie." Or yeah, I I wouldn't be shocked if like on one hand I I could see that happening. On the other hand, you have stuff like the spell episode of Seven, mm-hmm. as well as like there was this one episode of uh, Operation Mystery that is big yeah. as well. I. They'll probably be swept under the rug, unfortunately, um, despite their sort of significance to the series and just tie filmmaking in general, good and bad. 
Um, which again, it's it's a shame. I do think Hanuman is a fun film. Like I I do think it could have been a it could have been a little you know it could have been this series as Megalon or such, but it's not and probably will never be unfortunately. And I think the person who caused that is the person who made it, which is even more sad. Yeah, but I mean, well, uh, from what I know of Japanese business, they they tend to hold grudges. Yes. So, yeah. Um, not as I mean, Americans are willing to look the other way if the price is right. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. I think the um, it's going to take like maybe like a generation or maybe a complete changeover of uh, management before we see anything uh, official from Subarayazin on on any of these things. Never say yeah. never. Look, I never none of if you're if I don't know how how deep into Kevin. I think you know this stuff. No one ever thought we we'd ever see the day the clown cried, but we're actually counting down. Yeah, that, that it's going I, to happen. I'm if depending on how the world looks, I'm actually going to be and how it's released. I'm planning a watch party with that with some friends. Yeah, I, and there's no. <laughs> it's not going to be a fun party, but it'll be a party. <laughs> uh, I oh I can't I I can't and I'm going to see it sometime in my lifetime. I cannot mm-hmm. wait. Um, <clears throat> ever since I heard Harry Shearer talk about it on Stern, I'm like, God, I gotta see this thing. Um, and something tells me too that the American Film, uh, the Library of Congress, is not gonna wait the full 25 years. I got a feeling like we're about like five years out since uh, since we lost Jerry Lewis. I got I give another five before they're like, all right, screw it, he's been gone long enough. Let's put this thing out there. <laughs> So yeah, and, um, and I also do wonder because you know the, the Tsuburaya that we have right now, which is no longer the, the family business. It's it's more the, you know, the corporate, you know, we've yeah. got basically yeah. Fields and Bondi calling the shots at this point. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, uh, they, they might be more... If it means we get some toys out of it, I got a feeling we'll probably see it. I, that I that would be interesting. I, I could see them doing like a limited edition something. Um, something for the you know, like, collector market. Here's, here's, here's the, the Gomera from that movie or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which again, this brings me back to the the audacity that they claimed they were going to when they were claiming to do that movie that it was going to be Gomara and of all things Jiris. Like they they <laughs> were adamant. Were they? Adamant were they? We're going to put Jiris. Were they wanting? <clears throat> I, I don't recall them talking about Jiris. I do recall them wanting to make a movie called Jumborg Ace versus Ninja Panda, which I kind of wish was made, but I digress. That. Uh, I got some press material for that around here somewhere. I have to dig it out. But, yeah, that was one of the few things in English, and they gave that to me. I'm like, what in God's name is this? Um, from, so they did quietly, quickly explain. They, they they were heavily into Ultraman 2020 at the Tokyo Olympics. That was the legit title they were going with that thing. And after that, it went to, like, oh, yeah. Gentlemen, are you guys there? Sorry. Yes, I'm there. Lost, uh, yeah, it was a, for a second. internet hiccup. Yeah, my dog's okay, cool. being kind of dumb. It's a little hiccup. Yeah. So, uh, they were heavily onto that. That's what the American producers were on. And then the Jamborg Ace and Giant Panda versus Giant Ninja Panda was a, the attempt was to be a kid's film. And essentially, it was just a giant. Ninja Panda was going to terrorize, I believe it was like New York, and Jamborg Ace was going to show up to fight him. That was yeah. literally the synopsis they gave us. And I'm, I'm, 
I looked at them like, what in God's name are you guys? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't seem too weird because there's there's uh, Death King Death Kong King the the panda monster from Jumbo Gaze, so. Mm-hmm. Um, it might that right. probably probably what it was. Yeah. Well, there was there was Panda Mania at that point in Japan because they were just getting the the pandas on uh, from China in the Tokyo mm-hmm. Zoo, which is why you also have the the panda episode in Ultraman Haro. Mm-hmm. And oh, Ace, uh, sorry, oh. Uh, and, and the the movie Panda Go Panda, the with the uh, you know the people that went on to go make Miyazaki, uh, went on to go make a uh, Ghibli. Um, mm-hmm. They they did that for the champion Matsuri at the same time. So, in addition to um, through Chayo, there was this Thai com- toy company that did make some Jumbo Ace figures, and one of the one of the toys for the monsters um, that they did they did very little monsters unfortunately they they did all the villains and the evil Jumbo robots and the the main heroes, but they only did two monsters and that was the the first monster King Jiglas, and the second monster was Death Kong King which was the panda monster. So I, I sort of feel like, at least maybe in the minds of these Thai audience, <clears throat> of the Thai audience at the time that watched Jumbo Race, that Death Kong King is probably the most iconic monster from that show, which I, I don't blame them because it's a giant panda monster. Hmm. This is probably, that, probably the origin of that. Again, I'm my... Jambor Ace knowledge is I can fill it up in a thimble. That's how much it is. <laughs> I did uh, an article about that. I'll plug that later. It's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, again, look, just in the uh, about nine, near 90 minutes we've talked about this, <laughs> it's been a roller coaster of half-truths, lies, and uh, wild imagination. Uh, at the very least, you can say what you will about the man. I mean, to, for, as far as I know... He might have been the nicest guy in the world. I've never heard like a bet. I've talked to people um, that at, at you know a couple of shows, uh, the M1 people especially. They they were friends with him, and they spoke very well of him. They uh, I, um, I showed up uh, before all this this nonsense lock the lock that we're in. Uh, the last Monster Palooza show, M1 the M1 people were there. Um, Matt Frank, I brought he's he asked me to bring the the book because he wanted to check it out. He's like, dude, we should. Take it to the M1 people. I'm like, yeah. Brought it over there, and they were looking through it. They're like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, yeah. And um, they explained, like, yeah, no, we're friends with Sampo. We know him. Like, we, we talk to him all the time. I'm like, really? They're like, yeah, he's a nice guy. Like, they had nothing but nice things to say about this man. Like, so it's it's a weird... Again, you can't really say what I know. There's people who say, yeah, you know, screw this guy. You know, he's a shyster. There's there's no doubt he was a shyster. There's no doubt that he, you know, BSed a lot of a lot of his business practices. But as a human being, as far as I know from people I have talked to, he seemed like a legitimately nice guy. That's all I can go off of. I mean, it it, it just adds another dimension to just. What an enigma this 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 dude was. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, at the at the end of the day, is somebody that you know spent his career producing children's films. He just, you know, was very uh, questionable in terms of the way he decided to do that. And I don't mm-hmm. know how much of that is, you know, cultural or or whatever. Like um, the, you know, especially with with storytelling when you're when you're going after, after 
you know, especially when you're dealing with so much things like Hanuman is, is mm. from mythology and you're kind of taking on these things and making them your own. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, you know, there's, there's a, there's a time and place for that sort of thing. But, you know, when you're dealing with these sort of more modern IPs uh, mm-hmm. and start uh, deciding that you can do whatever you want with them, then it gets into really nasty territory because that does turn into a zero sum game. Well, I mean, let's, I mean, uh, Ironically, Marvel uh, Productions is kind of doing something similar right now, hammering down on Loki and Thor uh, uh, merchandise. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like uh, you know he's the only one that's that's never done anything like this. I mean, when you know a, a Disney sub uh, a, you know subsection of Disney is going after people over a Nor- over Norse mythology. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no one's above uh, kind of being crappy about uh, owning something that they didn't create. <clears throat> but uh, any other you guys have any uh, any closing thoughts? Anything you guys want to say? Uh, well, I think you know, as painful as the saga of Sampote is, it does add another layer of intrigue and uh, fascination to the Ultraman series that I think I want to. That makes it, you know, again, one of my favorite tokusatsu series. Not saying that this is the driving, you know, fascination behind this particular franchise, but it adds another layer to it. Um, I do think, again, again, I've never met Sampode. He could be the greatest guy in the world. He could have been Adolf Hitler reincarnated. I don't know. I don't have a dog in that fight, though. Um, but I think, you know, again, he was he was a human being, and he lived a really interesting life, probably more interesting than a lot of people, you know, in the world. And I think his legacy, good and bad, will live on. And it does make me a little sad that, you know, of the films that he's made, Ultraman or not, you know, that are interesting, like, you know, Hanuman versus Seven Ultraman, Titan, Crocodile, that sort of stuff, they're always going to be marred by that sort of reputation he got uh, over the last 20 years of trying to steal Ultraman, which made him go from, you know, sort of a kind of kooky uh, B-movie director from another country to a a snake oil salesman con artist who's trying to take, you know, one of the most beloved superheroes from Japanese culture. And I think, you know, that sort of reputation will follow him for, you know, the rest of time. He's not going to be looked back at like Henry G. Serpentine? Uh, Saperstein. Saperstein. Right? Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to be looked at like Saperstein. He's not going to be looked at like Tanaka, you know, Tomiyuki Tanaka, Ishizubaraya, Tomorita, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, I think every human being is a little bit of good, a little bit of bad, because that's just the nature of being human. And, you know, I don't think he's the worst creator in the world or anything, but. I think in the in the saga of Ultraman and all the artists who've worked on it, he's going to be definitely the most divisive, um, to say the least. I I, I, yeah. I'm, I tend to agree with that. I'm, that that's a that's a very apt assessment. Yeah, and I think it's always important also to try to separate the artist from the art. And while mm-hmm. uh, you know his he had business practices which, frankly damage the perception of tokusatsu internationally for for decades and probably irreparably forever um i think that there's still um you know now that he's gone we can kind of have a have a a look back at things like you know the 
well, frankly, his entire filmography and, and find things to enjoy about them. So, you know, if you see the Dutch DVD of uh, the Hanuman and Ultraman movie, I definitely snap that up because you, who knows how many chances you're going to have. And then, yeah. you know, there's there's Mars Men, which has a French DVD because, uh, that, <laughs> you know, as, as I mentioned before, it was actually Louis, Luigi Cosi, the same guy that colorized Godzilla in the 70s, that, uh, that brought that to Europe. Uh, and now it has a maybe not the best uh, best English dub, but it has an English dub associated on it. Uh, so you know you can uh, you can view that as well, and hopefully Crocodile gets its Blu-ray sooner or later. And I I'd be up for for seeing more. I think it's a real shame that what was created had to be destroyed for Project Ultraman because uh, it's it's fascinating as um, you know depending on how much was even finalized uh as an artifact i would i would love to be able to see as much as, as possible yeah again i don't think i don't think project ultraman would have been like one of the if it existed in full and we had access to watch it um i don't think it would have been seen as like you know on the level of stuff like seven or mebius or you know nexus or any of those shows but i think it would have been like you know just as interesting as like you know something like powered or great where it's like this is some different countries interpretation of Ultraman and you know there's some parts about it that might be might have been good or there are parts about it that might have been bad and who knows how it would have been but I would have I probably would have enjoyed it just for the novelty of it like I really enjoyed uh, uh, Metal Kaiser that Super I attempted to work on mm-hmm. you know and another tragic tale and I think it probably would have been like that where it's like okay this is you know, it's not quite the same as what we're used to, but it's similar enough, and it adds to that sort of um, mythology of sorts of Ultraman. That you know, again, I think it's a shame that we don't have access to it. Yeah, it's, it's like Zido is everybody's least favorite metal hero thing, but it still deserves a right to exist. Well, of anything, the 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 fact that it's this mysterious thing and the legend of it now kind of puts it into a whole different you know stratosphere. Other than any of the other stuff. Like, if, if you said, if it came out and we got to see it, it probably it would have been this, this, just another, you know, chapter in the book, but now it's got a weird, almost urban legend life around it. Um, it's it's fact, arcane. Yes. Yeah, it's 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 on that level of stuff like, uh, you know, the, the band episode of Ultra 7 and such. Like, you know. Like, you know, it's, it's we know that there's something out there. We, at least there was at one point. There might still be. God only knows. Um, because, again, no one can get any straight answers out of anybody. Or there's uh, ten different versions of the same story that all have very different, uh, they have, you know, different, uh, you know, subtle changes to them. But we know it's there. It's, something was there. And that it, you know, it, hopefully it exists somewhere. Someone might have saved it like Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. That there's a copy somewhere sitting in someone's apartment, maybe in China somewhere, um, or in Thailand somewhere, that, you know, one day someone is just going to be like, oh, hey, just throw this up on the internet. Um, but until then, it you know, for me, it remains one of my uh, my white whales. Much like yeah. I mentioned uh, Day the Clown Cried, I'm like, I would what I would give just to see what was, what could have been, or what was, what, what could have been. And what was actually done? What you know? What was out there? It, there's there's something about that that just kind of drives me. It drives me. Drives people like insane. They're like, 
it's it's so close, it's so tangible, but you just can't quite reach it. So yeah, on that that kind of ranty note, uh, gentlemen, this has been great. I thank you guys for coming on. Uh, I can't think of anybody else who would have been better for this. You guys are a wealth of knowledge far more than I could have ever drummed up for any of this stuff. Thank you very much for coming on. Hey, you're uh, welcome. Uh, any excuse to talk about Ultraman for two hours is a oh, fun yeah. time in my book. So uh, let's start. You guys got things to plug. Let's plug away. Uh, uh, Kevin, go first. I know you got a book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, Kaiju for Hipsters, 101 Alternative Giant Monster Movies. Uh, it's a couple years out of date. Uh, I, I actually I, I was referencing it just before uh, the call. So uh, I talk about this movie as well as, uh, as many, many others that uh, if you're wanting to look past the Godzilla and Gamera and Mothra and King Kong types of giant monster movies, there's a, there's a whole bunch out there. Uh, I've also got a blog called Mazer Patrol. Lately, most of my updates have been kind of mini things on Facebook, but uh, the the main blog still exists for posting podcasts and, and sort of long-form articles. Uh, aside from that, I tend to show up sporadically on uh, Kaiju Transmissions podcast and uh I guess I'll be part of the upcoming Kaiju Masterclass session also. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's, they just announced that too. So, yep. um, when, do, do, did they release a date for that yet? Uh, yeah, it's uh, early November. Okay, cool. And then, uh, Connor, do you have anything to plug? Well, I, I again, I have my Kaiju Compendium site. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus due to some real-life issues that have popped up, but I'm working on a Tiga article, actually a series of Tiga articles um, detailing the show, the movies, the guidance, the Hong Kong comic book, and even my favorite part, the uh, monsters that were sent in for the Ultraman Tiga design a kaiju contest. Ooh. I was able to find some of the, you know, some of the entries for that, which will be really fun. And uh, you know, aside from that, my work has appeared in the Schwatch Ultraman fanzine. I did an article on the uh, uh, kaiju of Ultraman, the Ultraman Max kaiju design contest. And there's some really fun guys in there. Um, and, you know, if you buy that magazine, you know, that fanzine, which I think you should, all proceeds go to the uh, Ultraman Foundation, which is a charity that Subaraya has set up to help children affected by natural disasters and such. So definitely throw your money that way. Um, aside from that, I occasionally show up on Kaiju Transmissions uh, and from time to time. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's basically what I got, just... I'm, I'm going to warn you, I don't update very frequently, but when I do, it's it's usually good. Oh, that's cool. Are, are you covering even the um, on the Tiga stuff, the uh, notorious uh, uh, J-pop uh, um, contract issues with that show? I'll, I'll briefly mention it, but, like, most of the stuff is regarding, like, the artists and the, the you know, the kind of behind-the-scenes creature design stuff for the mm-hmm. most part. Like, I like to go really in-depth into oh this this particular artist worked on this show and he took influence from you know this and that to make this you know seaweed monster or something uh, there's been some fun tidbits I've dug up on some of the previous shows and entries um, in the franchise which I recommend checking out um, which is why you should get the Ultraman uh, Swatch fanzine because there's some crazy stuff if you want to see me critique 
uh, children's drawings from 15 years ago. You know. <laughs> you know? Uh, do, you have a, do you have a site people can go to grab that? Uh, I can, yes. I will post it on my Twitter. But yes, it's uh, just, I believe, just Swatch. You know, the, the Cry Ultraman does and in fanzine. Um, yeah, it's on, I believe, yeah. There's a Twitter, yeah, it's, we have a Twitter account for it, which I believe leads to a Gumroad for it. At, at Swatch. Um, it's at it's at Ultrazine on Twitter. At Ultrazine. Ultra cool. and then Zine. <clears throat> cool. And then uh, for our own plugs, as always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at the Kaiju Kingdom because Twitter has limited characters. We're on Instagram as well. Uh, our Facebook is where I do most of our updating for news related and stuff related to this podcast. You can also go to our website, thekaijukingdompodcast.com, where you can find the show and uh, some of our new YouTube entries. We Our YouTube channel is technically up and running. We're, we're working on a lot of content for that, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, you can download this show. If you're listening to this, you can find it wherever you get your finer podcasts. So... On that note, gentlemen, I want to thank you once again for coming out and uh, eulogizing this very interesting gentleman in a uh, in, in a cornerstone of fandom that not a lot of people know about. I'm hoping that after today, a lot more people kind of know this story. So thank you once again. Glad to be here. Hey, my pleasure. And on that note, that will do it for this edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast. From myself, Kevin, Connor, and Jessica, who isn't here, thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time.